الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على المبعوث رحمة للعالمين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القرآن المجيد والفرقان الحميد كتب عليكم إذا حضر أحدكم الموت إن ترك خيرا الوصية للوالدين والأقربين بالمعروف حقا على المتقين So in Islam, just like with everything else right from birth, we have recommendations at birth as well and advice that the adhan be called out into the right ear of the newborn and the iqama into the left ear of the newborn. And that is that with the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, somebody enters the world. And then of course there's responsibilities as to who's going to look after the child and who's going to take care of the expenses. And all of these things are discussed in great detail. Likewise, throughout our life, all of uh, our life, every single um, issue, whether that be finan- fi- uh, uh, related to finance, whether it be related to marriage, food, dietary issues, uh, medical and health issues, everything is governed. So how could Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala leave us deserted after a person dies? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, in fact, one of the most uh, detailed verses in terms of actually providing detail uh, in the Quran as to how to do something uh, with all of its detail is probably the worst verse of inheritance. Um, give you an idea, if you look at the case of Salat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't mention in clear terms uh, the, how many rak'ats to do, for example, in every prayer, uh, what to recite in the prayer exactly. Even the times are kind of indicated. Uh, however, that's one of the most uh, important obligations as we know. When it comes to inheritance, يُوصِيكُمُ اللَّهُ فِي أَوْلَادِكُمْ لِلذَّكَرِ مِثْلُ حَظِّ الْأُنْثَيْنِ Very, very detailed. Very, very detailed. So that's why Islam doesn't want us to be left in the lurch. And that's why it's really strange that there is so many problems when it comes to uh, people dying and leaving a fire raging in their homes. And this is really sad. I mean, somebody came up to me after one Friday prayer when I had... Um, discussed uh, some issue related to inheritance and so on and he said I'm so glad that you have discussed this because what's happening is that the father has just pi- passed away and essentially hellfire has erupted in the home right because people just don't know uh, what to do and how to do it correctly some people do things mashallah a lot of people do things in the best interest or what they think is in the best interest of certain individuals or maybe their own children but they've done it incorrectly and then after that it just becomes all unraveled and it's not correct so Islam's law of inheritance are actually very 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 clear the problem is that there's just a lot of ignorance about it just like the laws of divorce are very clear in Islam but people make so many mistakes right people make so many mistakes likewise Islam's laws of inheritance are clear and yet people make mistakes. Now, I would say, I recommend for people that they really need to know their laws of divorce because nowadays lots of divorces are taking place and people make a lot of mistakes. They should learn the laws of divorce just when they get married, right? Just in case they have to use it. And the reason is that it may happen. Now, more so than that, there's more reason, absolutely more reason to learn the laws of inheritance because that is something Right, which everybody's going to go through. A lot of people are not going to divorce. People are going to avoid the divorce. But when it comes to inheritance, everybody's going to die. 
right? And if you're worth anything, if you've got money, you've got some assets, then you definitely need to know the laws of inheritance. And before you do anything about your inheritance, you should consult. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, there's a lot more resources out there right now, right? In all sorts of languages, there's a lot more going on. And because in this country, in the West in particular, and in many other countries as well, not only is there, are there the laws of Islam and Islamic inheritance, but there's also the law of the land, inheritance tax, and a number of other issues like that, which if you're not aware of, you know, you could end up losing a lot of money, right? That will not go to your inheritors, but it will go as tax to the government, right? Whereas it didn't have to do it. It didn't have to go that way. So that's why there's quite a few things that we do have to be aware of. So let us put it, put it this way. Relatives, what's really interesting is that in Islam, relatives are considered to have a share of your wealth, meaning inheritors, you know, whoever is going to be an inheritor. Generally speaking, uh, I would just say that if you're a person with children, right, and a spouse and parents, I mean, and then you'd have brothers and sisters possibly as well. But if you've got children, boys and girls, if you've got sons and daughters, then generally the inheritance is going to be one sixth for your father. One sixth for your mother, it's going to be one eighth for your uh, your wife. If you're if you're the man, it's going to be one eighth, and your children are going to have the rest, just split up, as in the sons getting double share of a daughter. It's very very standard when it comes to that kind of a normal kind of family setup. Yes, if you've only got daughters, then there's other people who are going to get involved. Uh, if you don't have parents and you've only got daughters, then there's going to be others who may, uh, you know, who, who may inherit. We're not going to talk about all of that today. We're not going to talk about the shares, right, of who gets what. That's not today. That's much more of a detailed discussion, which is not for today. All I want to speak about today is not to make silly mistakes and to do things common mistakes, common issues that people can avoid and do in the right way. So what is really interesting in Islam is that our inheritors, whoever they are, parents or whoever they're going to be, children, they actually have a right in our wealth, right? Not at our death, but actually even in the death illness. So if a person is going through the death illness, and a death illness is essentially any illness in which they eventually die, not a terminal illness, Right? For example, if you've had cancer for 10 years and they've been telling you you're going to die in that and it's taken 10 years, that's not necessarily death illness. Death illness is the final illness, whether that be 2-3 days, 5 days, a week or whatever in which a person dies. That's called a death illness. At that time, at that time it's really interesting, uh, any gift that you want to give will have to be approved by the inheritors because it's almost as if the money has become theirs. They can't take it yet, but it's they have a say in it. They have to approve it. And you can only then give from up to one third of your wealth. Now, that is very strong that your inheritors, our inheritors, will have a right to our estate actually even before our death. Not that, I mean, anybody's going to go and demand it because you can't. You can't demand it. But just technically speaking, technically speaking, if we wanted to just give it all up and out, then and they, they protested, they would have a right to protest there. Right? That, that's another issue. We're not going to go into that in depth, but I just want to give you an idea that in Islam, inheritor, inheritance is very important and they have a right over our, our wealth. And there's just nothing you can do about it. You leave any wealth, it will go to your inheritors, right? At least two-thirds of it will go to your inheritors once after all of your expenses have been paid for anything that is necessary.
In fact, uh, not just that, but there was uh, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, there's a hadith which is related by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, it's a very, very popular hadith, Sahih hadith. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, who's, uh, عنه, who's one of the ten who've been given the glad tidings of paradise, he became extremely ill. He became extremely ill and he was worried about what to do with his assets. So he decided that let me give all of my assets. He said, Ya Rasulullah, I am in ana uh, mal. You know, I have wealth. Like, wala yarithuni illa ibnatun li wahida. I've only got one daughter. At that time, we only had one daughter apparently. I've only got one daughter. Can I give away two thirds of my wealth? And the Prophet said, no. So he says, can I give half then? If I can't give two thirds, can I give half? And the Prophet said, no. He said, okay, what about one third then? And the Prophet said, okay, one third, but even one third is too much. He says, it is better that you leave your children, your inheritors, your waratha. He says your waratha. He didn't say your children. He says your inheritors uh, well off. Right? It is better for you to do that than you leave them poor and then they have to extend their hands out to people to beg because they don't have the money, right? So from this, what we get is that the Prophet said, you can leave up to one third, that's fine, but you can't leave any more than one, th- one third. And he wasn't even encouraging up to one third. He says, even that's a lot, but all right, we'll allow you to do up to one third. So a person has the right. So just to explain that a person actually has the right that they make a bequest, they leave a will essentially, they leave an instruction, right, in whatever form, right, f- so that up to one third can be given out to anybody else who is a non-inheritor. You cannot add anything to those who are naturally going to inherit through Quranic shares. You can't, so for example, if you've got a son, you can't leave him any more after your death. He's only going to be due what is through the Quranic shares, right? But if there's somebody who, does, who is not going to inherit from you, a cousin, for example, right? a nephew, a niece, an uncle, a grandparent, for example, then you can leave an, a friend, even a non-Muslim friend, a masjid, an, a charity. Uh, you, you can leave up to one-third. Right? Now, if somebody did write, I want to give them half, then those who are distributing the wealth, it would not be allowed, them to, uh, allowed for them to give one half unless everybody agreed. So it's up to the discretion of the rest. Anything more than one-third will be up to the discretion of the rest of uh, the inheritors. But up to one-third, it's binding. They have to give that away. But any more than one-third, it will be up to the rest of the... Um, and they have to agree willingly. So if there's any children, you, if there's any children who are inheriting, then they can't even give permission. They're not even allowed to give permission. They're too young to give permission. They don't have... Uh, authority to give permission yet. So that's uh, a bit more complicated. We're not going to go into that. But what it is, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to give our inheritance to our inheritors. And most parents, most people do want to leave inheritance to their inheritors. I mean, that's just the norm. That's just the fitr, fitra. It's a fitri thing. It's out of the nature. But there are cases when people don't want to do that. There are cases where they want to deprive their wife. They want to deprive their husband. They want to deprive a child. They want to maybe deprive their mother. Whatever. There, is a, there, is, there are people who are like that. Why may they want to deprive somebody? Well, they may want to deprive somebody due to maybe substance abuse. They have an addiction or something. They think that they're going to abuse uh, the inheritance or whatever the case is. 
Now, anything that you leave after you die, the Quranic shares take over and you cannot deprive them. Even if you wrote in your will that my such and such a son or daughter should not get anything or your wife should not get anything, they will get something, right? They will get whatever the Quranic... Once, you're, once we die, then the Sharia takes over. We, whatever we say doesn't make a difference anymore. Now, I'm talking about this, right, in a way that there's the country laws don't apply. Because once you put the country laws in, it gets a bit more complicated, right? But that is something I may discuss later. So that's why, since it's inevitable that our inheritors are going to get some money, right, and they are the rightful owners of our wealth after we die, let us learn about it and let's do it in the right way. Right? Otherwise, you can, you can essentially leave fires raging, the, the family will be disunited, they will be at each other just for the sake of something. And you know what the most important thing is? Right? Is that if you could have avoided it, and you could have foreseen this, but you didn't, then you could even be sinful for doing this. You could be sinful for not doing it correctly. Right? I give you some examples. Right, just just to set, it up, uh, set set the scene, let's just say that some assets that you had, a piece of land, another house, another property, uh, a business or whatever, you promised it or you actually gave it, you said, to one of your children or your brother or someone else and you didn't let anybody else know about it. That person has no proof, but he knows you gave it to them. This is going to be a problem, right? There's no proof. There's no, there's no proof. You did not put it onto their name. You did not write and, and you know, make it witnessed statement, right, or agreement or anything like that. You just told them, right? That generally isn't going to work because everybody else, it's money involved. Everybody's going to say, no, this is our right. Show us the proof. There is no proof. Then there's going to be a major issue, right? So don't do things like that. For example, what some people do is that they give the daughters a certain amount of assets, right? That they think are going to be how much they should actually re- uh, actually um, receive uh, after after the death, right? But they want to give them all the jewelry. So I've I've had a case where somebody wanted to give his daughter or two daughters all the jewelry. The mother, etc., wanted to give all the jewelry. And said that, okay, you take this jewelry, so you don't have to argue about it afterwards, but then you can't take a share of the inheritance after I die. All of the rest of the property, etc., is going to go to, my, uh, to your brothers, and, and, and so on. Now, even if the jewelry that they received was more, the value of it was more than what they would have received had it, uh, according to Quranic shares, if it had been all left as inheritance, they will still, they will still receive from after the inheritance, they will still receive their share, their rightful share. Right? So you can't give your inheritors, any one of your inheritors, their share early and say, you can't take after my death your share afterwards. Well, you could request them, and if they then forego it, and there's a way to do that, that's okay. But they're not bound and obliged to do that. Now, another thing is that uh, I would just encourage, before we start with the specific issues, is that parents who have assets, mashallah, should not just keep their assets, and you know, like huge, I mean, they've got a house, they've got maybe two, three properties, they've got a, other investments and so on, and they're very, very, very well off, but they're not giving anything to their children, 
right? And the children are working hard and um, in some cases, you know, they're, they're really struggling and suffering. What's the point of waiting until you die, letting them suffer for 20, 30 years, and then after that, when they finally bought a house or whatever themselves, and then you die and then they get a lot of money, right? Why don't you help them earlier, right? And I've seen some cases where people don't, but mashallah, there are many families who do help earlier, right? At the same time though, there needs to be a balance in this regard. We've seen some really miserable cases that gone the, totally the other way. There's been some parents, some fathers who've literally, for whatever reason, out of trust obviously, and maybe to escape from the inheritance tax, they've transferred their houses. Now in London, like in many parts of London, uh, like East London uh, where I live, the houses are a million or more. That already is going to nearly take you over the threshold. Okay, So... What, what happens is that he transferred his assets over. He had a, maybe a one and a half million pound house or something like that and everything. And he had only one son as far as I know. And subhanAllah, he trusted him. But eventually it came that the son and the mother kicked the father out of the house and he spent the last three, four years of his life in a miserable state, you know, renting an accommodation after. He had built a massive house and he built it up and made it very well. But he was... And there's a number of these stories. So people are worried about giving too much to their children as well and putting everything on their name and I and I you know I don't blame them there are ways around that in terms of if you have a lot of assets you can actually um, establish uh, some trusts right which are a lot more complicated they cost money as well there are you know fees for that and so on for that you'd have to you know go go to a solicitor uh, you know a good Muslim solicitor that deals with this kind of stuff if you've got lots of assets if you if you have only a bit of assets for what I've told it's not worth it to have trusts uh, and, and so on because they cost money uh, and, and uh, maintenance fees and so on. But there needs to be a balance. We do give and help our children, but we do keep some assets for ourselves so that we do not become deprived and you know, we can at least sustain ourselves until we die. right? And uh, so there needs to be a balance and some cautious, uh, caution in that regard, but we need to help our children as well in that regard as well. So now I'm going to speak about the issues one by one, right? I'm going to speak about the issues one by one. Now, these are issues that I have decided, uh, that I have come across, and I've thought to be some of the most uh, prominent issues. One of the biggest issues, though this is, this is issue number one, one of, I think one of the biggest issues and one of the best advices I can give you is have clarity of ownership. Clarity of ownership is very, very, very important. What do I mean by that? Now, if the husband and wife are both working, there are many cases like that now, many couples, they're both working. And what they do is they have a joint bank account. Their, their wage, their salaries are coming into that. They're spending from that indiscriminately. It's not like, oh, this is mine, or this is yours. It's both of ours. And they just consider themselves 50-50, even if maybe one side is doing 60-40, but they think that it's all 50-50. Sometimes they don't even have an agreement. It's just like, we'll just spend from there. Right? Now, in that case, it's un probably understood that it's going to be 50-50 or 60-40. You can understand that if the husband has been providing 70% of the wage, the wife was working part-time, she's been providing 30% of the wage, understandable. Right? You could, you could say it may be 70-30. Now, if they've agreed in that case that no, it's, just going to be, it's still going to be 50-50, that's also fine. That means everything they purchase in the house, the sofas, the car... Um, the fridge, whatever it is, it's going to be 50-50. Now, you might be saying, why do you need to go into that depth? 
right? Um, it might be awkward to say, hey, that's 50-50, it belongs to both of us. There's a big reason for this. Clarity is better than misery afterwards. Now, there's a, uh, in many, many cases, the wife is not working. It's only the husband who's working. And the wife is, mashallah, bringing up the children. She's working in the house, bringing up children, sometimes doing actually more than what the husband is doing sometimes in that case. But the money is all coming in from the husband. In that case, by default, everything that is owned in the house, the house, if the house is owned, the car, the, the, the everything, all the furniture, everything is going to be the husband's. By default, because it's through his money. Even though the money is all coming from a joint account of both of them. Even if they've actually put both of their names on the house. Even if they both own the house in the sense that their names are on the deeds. It's still the husband's. Unless, unless. Now, why is it his? He's the one who's paid for it. It's his. For that to be also the wife's, right? Also the wife's, then he has to say everything. I gift you half of everything. That's why it's very important. That's why it's very important. I've seen a number of cases where the wife doesn't work at all, but the understanding is, the understanding, it's not clear, it's just the understanding that it's half-half. Every Now, if they've made it clear, then it's half-half. It doesn't matter who paid for it then. It's half-half. Why is all of this necessary? The reason this is necessary is that if the wife dies tomorrow, her inheritors are going to have a right to her assets. So, if half is actually hers, then they have a right to that. Right? They, you, you'll have to then decide with them what to do about it. Right? That if you do get married again, the next wife can't just step in and, you know, it belongs to half to hers. Now, if it was all the husbands and if it wasn't the wives, then only whatever her personal jewelry was and personal assets, personal bank balance, that would be then the wives. The, the wives from whatever she got from any other source. So that's why clarity is very, very necessary. Right? Very, very necessary. If the husband dies, then of course, whatever's the husband's, that will have to be among his inheritance, and generally that's going to be his wife anyway, and it's going to be his children and so on, right? And then his mom or dad, and, and, and so on. Just like if the wife dies, it's going to be her mother and father, if they're st still alive, and, and her children, and so on and so forth. But that's why it's very important to at least have some understanding that this is all yours, or this is mine, or this is both of ours, 50-50, just to avoid having any problem in the future. You don't have to go on about it every day. You don't have to like say, hey, this is half mine, or it's like that. I mean, you don't have to talk about it every day, but at least it's clear what is whose. Number two, issue number two. A lot of this has got to do with gifts. The law of gifting in Islam, hadiyah as you call it. I'm going to give you some of the basic laws of gifts, the most fundamental basic laws of gifts, just so you understand, because this one, is a huge problem. This is where so much confusion arises. I give you the I give you an example. The father said to one son, "I'm going to gift you this house, or I've gifted you the house." Right? I'm going to gift you the, the house. Uh, let's just say it's a separate house he owns, a separate property he owns, or a business or whatever. He said, "I I'm going to give it. I'm I'm gifting it to you," but the son has no control of it. The father has full control of it. He calls the shots. He takes the income from it and everything. He's just told the son, it's yours. That gift is not complete. That does not become the son's. He may be thinking all of his life, my dad's given me that. I'm going to get that one, not anybody else. Right? Or even if he's given it to everybody, right? it does not become theirs by the gift. Because 
they never took possession of it. What do you mean taking possession? So let me explain. When you give a gift in Islam, there are the fundamental principles and the integrals of it that have to be fulfilled. So if I give somebody a gift, like my son a gift, right, of this phone, if I tell him, this is your gift, but I've never given it to him yet, he knows it's for him, but I've not really stopped using it, or I've not actually, I've, I've brought it, I've purchased it, maybe it's a brand new phone, I've purchased it, but it's sitting on my desk, I've not told him you can take it, he's not allowed to take it yet, and I'm saying it's yours, it's not his yet. For a gift to be complete, I have to say, this is yours, I'm gifting this to you, he has to accept it, he or she has to accept it, I accept it, and number three, most importantly, they have to take possession. And taking possession of anything depends on what it is. So if it's a house, here's the key. And number two, I have to take my stuff out of it. I have to relinquish control. He should be able to do what he wants in it. That means gifting someone and then completing it. Now, if somebody has gifted something and they assume that it was gifted to them, but he's not given it up, he's still the one using it and everything. And after death, he says, uh, that particular son or daughter comes and says, Dad gifted me this. No, but dad was the one who was in control of it. He was the one taking the rent from it. He was the one benefiting from it. Your name, you know, uh, is on the deed maybe with everybody else, but, you know, you really didn't have any active control or anything like that. That's not a gift. She or he was not given control in a way that they could do what they wanted. Now, on the other hand, so, so that's why it's important that you make the offer that I'm giving you this as a gift. The person who's receiving it, the recipient, says, I've accepted it. You have to accept it. Nobody can be forced to take a gift. They have to say, I'm happy to take it. And then they should actually take it in some way or the other. Right? Then it is a gift. Then it's transferred over. Okay? So active possession is very important. Active possession is very important. They have to take active possession. They don't just say, I've accepted it. Now, this is very different to when you sell something. If I gift you this phone, and you say I've accepted it, but I've not really given it to you yet, and I'm not letting you take it yet, the gift is not complete, you don't have any right over this yet. So if I die in the, pro- in, in the middle of that, it doesn't, it's not yours. It's going to go to my inheritance. On the other hand, if I sold you this phone, or if I sold you a book, and I said, 10 pounds, you said, I agree, right? We've both agreed, that's a final sale, but I've not given you the book, you've not given me the money, but that book is now owned by you. Because when you do a sale, right, you become owner, even though you've not taken active possession, you actually own the product, even though you haven't actively taken possession. They owe it to you. If they don't give it to you, you can take them to court for it. But in a gift, because it's something you do as an act of free volition, it's an act of uh, goodwill, right? You're not bound in anything. So you could actually pull it back, right? It's not nice to pull back a gift, but at the end of the day, um, it's not like a sale. In a sale, the ownership transfers to you, even though you don't have the product yet. I owe it to you and you owe me the money, right? So that's very, very important. And keep this distinction in mind. In a gift, you must take possession Ownership uh, for ownership to transfer, there must be active possession taken. But in a sale, active possession doesn't have to be taken. 
just the agreement is enough. A final agreement is enough and it will become yours even though you've not received it yet. You'll receive it later or you'll have a right for it. Issue number three, point number three is a very simple thing. Be transparent and make witnesses. Be transparent and make witnesses. If you are gifting something and you've gifted it, or if you've sold something to one of your children, then just make witnesses. In fact, the best thing to do is to just let everybody know, especially all the inheritors. Otherwise, if there's no proof, there's, it's going to lead to issues afterwards. It's going to lead to issues as it does. Right, number four. This is the complicated one. But before I talk about this, I want to talk about a really important issue. Let's just say that you want to transfer your house to one of your children or a property. Now, according to the law of the country, if you've transferred the deeds over, which means you've signed it off to somebody else, and it's their name on it, according to the land registry, it's theirs, then it's considered theirs legally. But, Islamically speaking, many, many of our ulama and muftis, they've judged that that is not always the case. The fact that you've got, somebody has got their name on a deed, like the wife has got the name on the deed of the house with the husband, but the husband has not gifted her any of the share, but he's put their name on there, right? Or he's got one of his children's names on there, or all of their names on there, that does not mean they actually own it Islamically, even though legally they do own it. Right? Why? Because a lot of people do this in order to avoid certain taxes, uh, inheritance tax or whatever else, or because they don't want to maybe show that, uh, uh, legally speaking, they own a property, um, their son owns it, by on theirs maybe there's other tax implications or whatever. Of course, if you own something legally, there's liabilities that come with that. So... People do it for that reason. And they do this in many countries. They do this for this reason. That's why many, many muftis and Islamic scholars have, have said that merely having the name of something on the deed does not make it yours. Yes. To be honest, if your name is on the deed, right, you're going to have a right to go to the authorities and claim your share. Or if your name is on the deed, right, and nobody else's, you can actually actively take over. Legally speaking, you can have legal recourse to the courts or whatever and claim it. Most people don't do that though, because there's a relationship. They know that the reason why the father has put a certain property or business on a certain son's name or his sister's name or his mother's name, you know, some people do that because they want to maybe benefit from tax allowances. Right, you know, the 11, 12, 13,000 or whatever it is, 12 and a half thousand or whatever it is, you know, they want to benefit from that. So that's why they put it on people's names. And everybody understands within the family and so on that it's not really theirs, it's just done for that purpose. That's why the ulama have said that that does not really mean that you've given possession, especially if you're still controlling everything. Yes, if you've put their name on the deed, you've given, you've relinquished control over it, you've transferred it to them, you've given them right to dispose in it as they want, then, then it's fine then it just shows, everything else shows that yes, it is theirs. That means they've taken possession. So now the big issue is, right, this is a typical issue. The father and mother have a house, right? Let's just say the father has bought this house, and that's their family house, that's where the children became old and everything. Uh, many of the children have, have moved out, there's one child who's living with them. Now they want um, to give this house, to uh, put it on all of their names, 
So what they do is they, they maybe put it on all of their names legally speaking. As I said to you, just putting it on their names legally speaking does not mean that they've actually gifted to them Islamically speaking. All right? Because they could be doing this to save themselves from inheritance tax, for example. So what they do is they've given it to them. Now, let's just say it's on their name already, or it's not on their name. It doesn't make a difference, but now he actively actually wants to give the house to one of his sons, the one who's living in the house. He wants to gift it to him. Everybody else has got a house, and they're also fine with him gifting this house, for example, to that particular son because he's been of service and so on. How does he gift that house? Because we've just told you right now that a gift, right, has a few conditions. Number one, I have to give him the house. Okay, I can do that. He has to accept the house. He will do that. But the third one, to take active possession. Well, you're going to say he's already living in there. Yes, he's living in there. But in Islam, right, according to the fiqh, if the giver's assets, contents, belongings are occupying the house, then that is actually a prevention from the other person taking full control. Also, the husband, the, the, maybe the son is living there, but the fathers control everything. He's not like so old or whatever that the, literally the children are just looking, that, that son is just looking after them. The father is still, mashallah, active and uh, taking care of all the affairs, calls the shots in the house, uh, all the permission has to go through him about whether they want to make uh, any changes in the house or whatever. And he's saying, it's my son's house. He's never moved out. His assets have always been there. They're saying that that means that your gift has not completed because your child, your son, has not been able to take active possession of the house. This is a very typical scenario. So many people have done this. This son who's living with us, he now owns this house. But you've never relinquished full control. You're actually calling the shots. If you've got, for example, a basement apartment in there, you're the one taking the rent and everything. So how do you do this? Right? Well, the scholars have suggested a few ways of dealing with this matter, of actually making it a gift to the son, for example, and them receiving the gift, it becoming theirs, and the parents then can carry on living in there. But there's a way to do that, right? There's several ways. Some are more complicated than others. The first one is the proper way, but the most complicated way. You move out, move all of your stuff out, hand the keys over, outside the house, hand the keys over, here son, this is yours. Thereafter that, he says, you can come back and stay there, under my roof now, and you bring your belongings back in if you want to, and you carry on staying there. That's the best way. It's very clear cut, right? But, all of those years of belongings, moving them out, what a hassle. So that's why, ulama have thought about it, and suggested some other ways, right, which can also work. You see, as we described, the problem was that your assets are what's stopping you from gifting the house. Because your assets occupying the house proves that you're not really gifting it to him. So what you do, and again, this is just what the ulama have mentioned, right? Is that what you can do is you can say, my son, all of my belongings in the house, furniture, everything that belongs to me, I'm because you're staying with me, I'm going to give it to you in your trust to look after. The son has a right to stay there because I've let him stay there, for example. So I say to me, my son, all of these belongings of mine, I give it to you to keep in trust for me. So technically, it's transferred over to him to keep. Thereafter, I 
walk out of the house. Now, some scholars say you have to walk out, some saying you don't have to. Whatever the case, let's just say, I walk out of the house and I say, my son, I've gifted you this house. It's free of my belongings. It's not occupying my... Uh, I've got my belongings, but you're looking after them in what you're occupying of my house. And he says, I accept. You, uh, he's got the keys. And then you go back in and you can then stay there. They say that that's okay. Now, that's again a bit complicated or whatever. That's why my suggestion, right? My suggestion, this is not written in any of the... I've not seen anybody else mention this, but I've had it confirmed by some big muftis, right? Is that what you should do is you sell your house to this son who's living with you, for example, or even if he's not living with you because you're occupying everything, right? So let's just say nobody's living with you, but you want to sell it to your son, right? One son of yours. He wants this house, you know? Sell it to him. And you can do this two, two ways. You can either put a nominal figure, I'll sell it to you for a pound. He pays you the pound. That house becomes his. Remember I told you earlier, when you sell something, the ownership is transferred, even if you don't give it to them. Even if the asset has not been transferred, the ownership of it, the right of it has transferred. Now, your stuff is still in the house, your belongings are all in the house, you're living in the house, you're not giving it to him, but he knows it's his house now. And he has the right to claim it from you. So, um, if you now... Um, he's not going to claim it for you because he knows that the understanding is that you're going to stay until you die, right? And you've, you've also transferred it by deed to his name anyway. And Islamically, you've, give, you've sold it to him for a pound as well. So what he's going to do is after your death, right? Then after that, he can claim the house, right? Because if this was a hadiyah, if this was a gift, the transfer of ownership would not have taken place unless you had emptied it out or you'd done one of these other ways, right? So that's why this is the easier way to do it. You just sell it to them. The other option is that you can sell it to them for the market value. Here, 500,000, a million, whatever it is, 200,000. So you've sold it. He's agreed to buy it for 500,000, right? It becomes his. The house becomes his. He's not taken possession, but the house becomes his. He's got a claim to the house now. Then after that, you can either forgive him or you can keep the debt and then maybe that debt can be paid through the inheritance or whatever. Or you can just forgive him and that will become his house. Now I know that might be complicated, so I'll explain it again later if you haven't understood it. But this is very, very important. Okay, let us take the next case. One of the biggest questions that we get, one of the most frequent questions we get. The husband owns the house, right? Mostly it's the husband who owns the house. And he reckons he's going to die first. And he's worried about where his wife, the mother, is going to stay. Okay, So what he wants to do is make it such that after he dies, legally speaking, all the assets will go to the wife anyway, right? unless they've made a will. Even Islamically speaking, he knows the laws. So what he wants is he wants the wife to have the right to stay in the house until she dies. Only then will it be distributed among everybody. Now that could be another 20-30 years. So now, many people know that Islamically you can't do that. You can't insist on that. right? Because as soon as the, the father will die, the mother will have a right to one-eighth. The children will have the right to the rest of it if they don't have any parents. So, they can technically tell her to leave. 
and look after her themselves. You know, that would be a separate obligation. But they can do that. Now, some parents, they trust their children that they will let their mother continue to stay in everybody's house after his death. It will be everybody's house. They trust their children, so they're fine about that. Others don't trust their children too much, and they want to put it in a will. Now, you're not allowed to say it has to be hers until death, because you're then depriving your other inheritors from their rightful share. However, you can make it your wish. You can say, this is what I would like for it to be. And if you've done the right tarbiyah and nurture of your children, inshallah, they will take care of her. Or if they don't want to take care of her in that house, then they will bring her to their own homes and they will look after her there, whatever the case is. Right? Now, if you do have a fear that she will not be looked after and you want her to leave her assets, well, there's a few things that you can do. Okay? So I will suggest three things, three options you have. One option is that you can just gift her the entire house. If you think you're going to die first, gift her the entire house. The whole house is yours. She's living with you, so you don't even have to take your stuff out. If a husband says to his wife, all of this is yours, it all becomes hers, right? If he's serious, right? But there's a risk in here. Let's just say that she dies first. If she dies first, then her inheritors, if she's still got some, will have a right to the house. And then you're going to be without the house. You'll get a portion of it, a quarter of it. Your children will get the rest. If there's her parents are, it, uh, are alive, they will get a portion as well. That's the risk in there. So that's not a very good idea. The second idea, the second option, is you gift her half of the house. If it's not already her half of hers, then you gift her half of the house. I own half, she owns half. Now, of course, if you die, she still maintains 50%. She's got half of the equity in that house. Plus, she's going to get another one-eighth of the entire estate that you've left behind. So she's probably going to be ending up with more than half of the house. Alhamdulillah, that's very good. The benefit of that is, if they're going to cause her a problem, well, she can sell the house and buy something smaller maybe. Right? Because she's got more than, she owns more than 50% of the house. And if they, of course, let her live there, then it's all fine. So that could work as well. The third one is that it's a bit more complicated. Is that you designate this as a waqf, an endowment during your lifetime. You say this house that we're living in, right? And any other asset you want, this is now an endowment, a waqf for me and my wife to stay in until we die. Right? A waqf means that you're removing something from your ownership and giving it into the ownership of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a good cause. Right? Now, you're saying, how is it a good cause that me and my wife live in there? Right? That's just selfish. That's just ours. Yes. It's allowed to temporarily do that until your deaths. But after your death, after what you've stipulated, it will go to the charity that you've named. It'll go to the poor, for example. So, if you want security, let's just say you want security... Then in this case, what you can do is you can say, I'm going to do this as a trust. It will be for me until I die and for my wife until she dies. And then you could also say it's for my children until they die. Then it will go to the poor. That's also allowed. The only caveat here in a waqf is that while you protect it in this sense and then nobody gets shares 
and they can just use it after that last after the last person dies in there it will go to the poor which means your grandchildren will not have it unless you keep it for them as well and for them and them and them and them problem is it's going to get too complicated eventually in a hundred years you might have like a uh, hundred people vying for that house it's too complicated this maybe work uh, maybe will work for somebody who doesn't have any children right or who has one child or something like that and he's given them enough already and he says okay I want this I want my wife to be secure after I die I'll make it an endowment for me and my wife right uh, in your lifetime and uh, it will become an endowment until she dies and once she dies then it will go to such and such a madrasa such and such a masjid such and such a relief organization or whatever the case is you could do it that way as well now I know I'm explaining all of these things if they're confusing or whatever and you're interested in them you can ask the question later on or you can contact us later on and inshallah we can help you with this besides these three I can't see any other solid way the only uh, to, to keep the house uh, for the wife until she dies and then it get distributed the only other way you can do this is if the children agree and you've brought up good children and they're going to look after the mother then that's then that's fine issue number five the father sold his house to one of his sons the son has not paid yet not paid a penny it's been 20 years maybe the house that they're living in maybe another asset it's been 20 years agreed price it was 300,000 Right now, the price of it is five hundred thousand, and the father dies. Okay, and all the other children are there, and they're saying, "This house is five hundred thousand now. You have to pay five hundred thousand to everybody." What is the answer to that? Well, the answer to that is, if it was clear that they'd made an agreement to sell the house, the father was sold the house to that son for three hundred thousand. There were witnesses. It was a done deal. He may have not paid a penny. He only has to pay 300,000. Because that was a done deal. As I said, if you've sold something to someone, that deal is done. Now, the fact that he didn't pay, well, that was up to the father that he didn't chase him for the money or whatever the case is. That's a different issue. That belongs to him. As long as this is done uh, with witnesses or in writing and people know about it. Preferably do this in front of inheritors if you're going to do this. Okay, now this is such a problematic issue where there's not a witness in this. I was called to a family of, I don't know, five or six brothers and like two, three sisters and it was about the house. And what was interesting is that two of the brothers, the claim was that now the father had passed away, had passed away a few years ago. The father had passed away and the youngest brother was saying, youngest or the second youngest, was saying that my father sold me this house. He had no proof. The only proof he had was another one, his youngest brother. His youngest brother, yes, that is what happened. Okay? And I can't remember if there was one sister who, who also agreed with him. But the other three or four brothers and the other sisters, they did not know anything about this. Actually, no, it wasn't the sister. I think it was the mother who agreed with him. The mother and one brother and everybody else disagreed. They were saying he didn't. And they had actually circumstantial evidence to show that he didn't do that. That it was not sold to him. So now it's like here you've got half a proof, not full proof, right? And here you've got uh, other circumstantial evidence. 
I mean, there was no way to... I, I told him, look, just agree on something. Let him buy it, but maybe, you know, you just give them extra. He goes, no, that's the, that's the amount I'm going to give. That is what I agreed to. But he'd not paid any money. I said, why didn't you pay any money? He said, well, I didn't have much money at that time. And then he did not really pursue me for my money. Yeah, sorry, to pay for it. It was just a huge mess. Now all of these brothers are broken. There's disunity among them. So don't do crazy th- things like that before you die, right? Make it transparent, make it clear, so that you don't leave fire in your home afterwards. It's not worth it. If the father agreed to sell the house to this son, but actually it was just the promise. No firm agreement took place. Nothing in writing. Nothing in front of witnesses. Um, the price, there was a price discussed. Hey, you know, uh, I want to sell this house to you. How much? Oh, it's uh, 400,000 pounds or whatever. Okay, that's fine. Whatever. We'll talk about it. Yeah, that's, that's, I remember that being the case. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. They actually never did it. There was no proof for it. But that son, we don't have any proof. But what the son is saying, he sold it to me. But there's no proof at all. Right? Or it was just the promise. So if it was just a promise, no firm agreement was made. Actually, let's take the case where it was just a promise, no firm agreement was made, then it will remain everybody's and it will not become that person's because remember, the offer and acceptance on a price did not happen. Issue number six. Gifting to children during their lifetime. What is the best way to give gift to your children? How do you have to gift it? Are you obliged to gift to your children according to their inheritance shares. So should you have to give double the share to a son that you give to a daughter? So the answer to that is no. During one's lifetime, the books of jurisprudence are very clear that you can give everybody equally, the, 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 your sons and daughters equally. It doesn't have to be double for the sons and uh, less for the sisters. In fact, they actually encourage that that's what you do. Yes, uh, if you leave anything after you die, it will be لِذَّكَرِ مِثْلُ حَظِّ unthayain, As Allah says in the Quran, brothers will get double a share of sisters. But in your lifetime, you can, it's actually recommended in many cases to give equally. Okay, that's understandable. Now, can you give to one daughter or one son or two sons a bit more than the others? Because there's a very strict hadith about this. The Prophet ﷺ, somebody came to him and said, I want you, Ya Rasulullah, I want you to be witness that I've given this son of mine such and such an amount of money. Now, maybe the Prophet ﷺ knew that there was some issue uh, there. There was some unfairness. He said, did you give all of your children this much? He said, no. So he said, then why are you making me then a witness to something that is unfair? So from this, we understand that you should be fair. The reason why you have to be fair in this is because obviously... They're your children, and you're going to do qat or rahim. You're going to uh, be cutting the ties of relationship by depriving some and giving the others. That's bad, and you don't want to do that. You should not be doing that with your relatives. So that's why you should give equally. However, if you want to give one more than the other, there are some cases in which that's allowed, right? And a lot of people have this question. For example, one of the sons or daughters, they've been of the huge amount of service to you. They're the ones who are always helping and the others uh, you know, either don't have time or they live further away or whatever. Then for that, you are allowed to give them more. But you can't deprive the others entirely. You give everybody, but you can give this person more. In your life. Now remember, this is all about in your life. After death, right, as inheritance, they will just have the share the Quran gives them. So if they're a sister, another one's sister, they'll get the same. If they're a brother, another brother, they'll get the same. 
But in your lifetime, you can actually give somebody more. Or for example, one is poorer than the others. MashaAllah, all the others, they have a house, right? And this poor one, he's struggling, tries his best, struggling. You can give them some more. Again, you give the others, you don't deprive them, but you can give them more. Another one is, for example, if one is working in some really, really useful field, very religious field, you know, as an alim or whatever, and uh, they don't make so much money or whatever, then again, you can give them more if you want to. And a fourth, uh, a fourth issue here within this is that can you deprive a child because they're doing something really bad in your life? So, remember, after you die... Even if you hate your wife or your husband or your child, you can't deprive them. You leave money, it's going to go to them, whether you like it or not. Right? As long as they're Muslim and you're Muslim, then they're going to get some. But in your lifetime, let's just say you decide that if I leave it as inheritance, then it's going to go to all of them like this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to distribute the bulk of my assets during my life. And in that, I want to deprive that particular son or daughter because they, are, they have a very, very bad attitude Bad attitude in the sense that they're abusers, they're, they're maybe addicted or something like that, and they're going to abuse the money in the wrong thing. In that case, you, you, you're not obliged to give them. You can just give the others. You can deprive them in that case. But again, if you're doubtful, you don't want to be, um, be accountable for it in the hereafter, so just uh, maybe consult with, a, uh, with an alim about this. Okay, issue number seven. I, think, um, I hope I'm going in the right direction here. Uh, sorry, in the right numbering here. Can inheritance be received from non-Muslim relatives? Alhamdulillah, we have many, many converts whose parents have not embraced Islam. And in Islam, there's a simple law that it's only co-religionists that, inheritance, uh, that inherit from one another. Which means that by the default inheritance laws, a Muslim cannot inherit from non-Muslim parents or non-Muslim relatives. However, in most cases, I just had a case recently, um, a person I know, he had... Uh, He's got non-Muslim parents and his mother left him 30,000 pounds. And so he thought that there was no way to get this money because the, the general law is you cannot inherit from your non-Muslim relatives. So I asked him the question and she'd actually left a will. And in the will it mentioned 30,000 uh, pounds for him and 30,000 for whatever and so on. Because she's left a will, that will is actually a bequest. As I mentioned to you right at the beginning, this is the wasiyat. Anything that you write for somebody who's not going to inherit from you normally, you can write a bequest for them and that would be valid in up to one third of your assets. So mashallah, because she'd written him in her will, that will is essentially a bequest. It's tantamount to a bequest. So that money is completely halal for him to take. 30,000 because it was up to just one third and there was a lot more, there was more assets. So that money became halal for him. That's why if there's, a non, uh, if there's a Muslim brother or sister who has non-Muslim relatives who want to leave them something behind, as long as they write it in their will that he's going to get this amount, they can take that amount, as long as it's up to one third. And even in some cases, they could probably take more if there's no other inheritors or whatever, but just consult a scholar there. All right? But if they did not leave a will, then he would not be able to take anything. In that case, I think it's probably the government that will take anyway if they didn't leave a will. Adopted children. So the next issue is our eighth issue is some people have, mashallah, adopted uh, children. For example, I know a couple uh, where the husband is married to, um, uh, uh, to a, uh, a wife who has children from before. So they're actually stepchildren, actually. So stepchildren 
adopted children maybe, can they receive inheritance? Again, they are not natural Quranic inheritors. They do not have a share. Inherit uh, stepchildren do not have from their step parent. They have from their own parent, their biological parent, but not from their step parent. Likewise, adopted children will also not have from their adoptive guardians. However, again, you can use the wasiyat, so the bequest rule. So up to one third you can leave for them. You can leave up to one third from them. Okay. For your adopted children or for your foster, uh, for your foster children or for anybody for that matter. And likewise for your stepchildren you can leave something. There's another scenario that I want to speak about which is, it doesn't occur all the time, but it can occur. Now understand it this way. The grandfather, okay, he's still alive and he's got assets. And he's got, let's just say, two sons for ease, to, to make it easy. Two sons. And both of these sons have children. So it's the grandfather, two sons, and then grand, grandchildren from both of his sons. And maybe he's got daughters, right? So just to make it easy, he's got two sons. The one son dies before the father. So the grandfather is still alive and one of his sons die. He's got children. Then the grandfather dies. The grandfather's inheritance will be received by this son. Not by this son because he's already passed away and neither by his grandchildren from that son. It will be for this son. And that will be his son. And if they've got, uh, if he's, uh, he, w- he probably wouldn't have a father by now or a mother, but that would be the inheritor. And maybe if he's got one sisters or whatever, but that would be the inheritor. Now, we had a case like that recently. So, this part of the family is saying that their second cousins are saying, why aren't we receiving anything? Well, technically, they don't receive anything because their father wasn't alive. Right? So, in this kind of a case, what we recommend for, would have recommended to the grandfather, is that if you do have a child who has passed away before you, and they've got children then leave something, if you want, leave something as a bequest, as a wasiyah for them. Because they will not inherit by default. You might be saying, why don't they inherit? It's because, generally speaking, when a person dies, and he's leaving sons and grandsons, or daughters and granddaughters, right? but generally with sons, the sons will inherit. The grandchildren will not inherit. That means even if there's one son, they will get... One son, one daughter, they will get, but the grandchildren from either them or a, de- uh, a deceased son or deceased daughter will not get anything. Right? Because there's somebody closer. So that's why you can leave a bequest in that case. For them to get an amount. Up to one third you can do that. Okay, the ninth issue is... There's a lot of online calculators out there today. Where you can plug in how much... Who, who you've got and then they give you an amount many of them may be correct right so I've tested some of them some of them are correct but some of them are incorrect right there's people with good intentions who may have put them up there but when it gets to the more complicated issues they just can't work it out right so that's why you can use them maybe to get an idea but then always try to have it verified by a scholar that this is the correct so that there's no surprises afterwards the tenth issue is a bit of advice. This is 
don't delay an inheritance distribution, otherwise it's just going to get more complicated. When the deceased passes away, give it some time, you know, everybody's calm and everything, and then try to sort it out as soon as possible. Right? Try to sort it out as soon as possible. Now there are two stages to this. One is you'll have to sit down, determine all the assets, and when a person dies, their clothing, everything is part of the assets. Right? Everything that belongs to them. The cash, the properties, the whatever they have inside the house, everything is up to be divided. So the first stage is you get together and then you determine who gets what. You know, you figure out what shares, a percentage everybody needs to receive. And then you decide that, okay, this is one six for you and this is for you and this is for you. All of that. Then there's the distribution. So then you actually divide everything up. Right? There's a whole procedure to that. If you cannot divide it, let's just say the mother's still staying in the house and you're going to allow her to stay in the house. Right? That's fine. But at least sit down together and determine what each person's share is and of what. Let's just say that there's someone, you've got cash and you've got the property. And there's some people, they say, look, I'd rather keep the property. I don't want the cash. And some say, we want the cash. You can negotiate the cup, the, the, the brothers and sisters, the inheritors who say they want the cash, they can take the cash and then you're left with the house. Now you can let your mother stay in there or whatever the case is, that's fine. But at least, at least it's all negotiated and done. I give you an example. Somebody passed away and he left behind several pieces of land and property in India. Right? Now, after the death, so, uh, two of the brothers or one of the brothers said that we will manage this and we'll pay you out that's what they said we'll manage this and we'll pay you out the sisters that will pay you out so they said that's fine but they never came back to them and they, they never said anything they did not tell them what the value of the assets were they did not give them any money nothing after I don't know 10 years or whatever they they are giving a certain amount of money to each one of the others, right? The sisters and so on. What's going on? What they did was, the value of the land at the father's death, they kept that same value. They're only telling everybody what the value is now. And then they're trying to pay everybody according to that, even though that those assets have now increased by five to ten uh, times. So they're paying after ten years and they're still giving them the price of ten years ago whereas there was no negotiation or determination of that time as to what it was and what exactly was going to happen. The sisters, they just assumed that they will figure it all out, let them know and then they'll tell them. That was the idea. So that's why they all gave the money back and they said, no, we want it according to today's price because it was left like that. That's why it's not worth doing that. Sit down, determine the value of it by everybody's agreement. Get a surveyor if you want to. Otherwise, just do a valuation at home. Then, if you want to keep it like that for everybody, that's fine. It's everybody's. If you don't and two or one person wants to buy everybody out, then they can negotiate that then and there and say, okay, I purchase all of those lands from you at this price. That's the agreement but I'm going to pay you in you know, so many years. If they agree, that's fine. Then you fix the price. Now you can pay. Now if you paid them after 10 years, you, 
you only have to pay them for that price. There's no interest in Islam, right? And you've agreed. And it's up to them if they want to give you that facility to pay later. If they don't, they say, no, um, uh, we want the money in two years, or we want the money in one year, or we want money in five years. They can do that. But even then, the, it's fixed. If you didn't do that, and you just said, I'd like to buy it, but you didn't tell them how much you're going to buy it for, how much it's worth, then it was just an offer, and there was no proper acceptance, no proper agreement, because there's ignorance and unawareness and ambiguity in what you exactly agreed upon. So that's why it will remain everybody's ownership until you actually sit down and decide among everybody. For example, let's say, person passed away and he had, a, he had a business in which some of his sons were working and others were not, right? Some of his family members were working and others were not. And they did not bother talking about it. They thought, oh, it's ours or whatever. Now, you see, everybody's going to have a different idea in their mind. Those who are working in the business, they think that they should now own more of this business because they're the ones who are continuous and maybe they've even improved the business and so on, right? Now, after 10 years, they decide, okay, let's do something, you know, give us our share, give us our share. So now they want to give them the share of the value of the business as it was when the father died. You can't do that anymore. Because there was no negotiation and agreement done at that time. They just carried on. So while they can take a salary or whatever the case is, but the business now with its increase is belongs to everybody. Because it was their assets. And they continued to be shareholders in that. Now had they agreed straight away that look, the business is, is uh, this much. And if you guys don't want to be part of it, we'll buy you out. So they agree on a sum, whether they paid their money or not, at least they've agreed, they finalized the sale, they can chase them for the money, then in that case it becomes fixed and that is what they will sell it to them for. Final two points. So point number 10 or 11? Point number 10. There's been a big tradition, unfortunately, really bad tradition of depriving sisters, depriving the women folk of inheritance, maybe two, three generations and above. Now, I think it's changing and people are giving their sisters shares from their parents' uh, inheritance. If you are a person whose sisters or aunts did not receive a share from the inheritance and you benefited from it, then while you may not be able to fully correct everything, Whatever was your portion and you can make a decent estimate, then you should either go and give them an amount of money to try to make them satisfied or at least go and seek forgiveness for them. So at least your assets do not have any adulterated somebody else's right in your assets. That's just a simple piece of advice. To the best of your ability, you can try to do that. So at least you'll be clean in front of Allah on the Day of Judgment. They won't have any challenge against you. The final point, they all sit down to distribute the shares. And the mother is saying, I don't want anything. This is generally what happens. The mother says, I don't want anything. It's your, my, my children. It's going to come to you eventually when I die anyway. I don't want anything. Right? Can you do that? The ulama say, you cannot just forego your share. Right? The reason is that when you inherit something, if somebody dies, his inheritors, they inherit, they become owners. They already have ownership. If I say, I don't want anything, where's that going to go? I have to give it to someone. Right? And there's a way to give. You can't, if you don't have it yet, it's still there in the form of the house or in the form of cash and you've not even touched it. You can't just say, I don't want anything. I mean, you can say that, but it doesn't work. 
right? You can't just forego, they say. There are some ulama who say you can, but the stronger view seems that you can't just forego, there's a way you can do that. This is a bit complicated, right? Um, so, what you do is, there's a few ways to deal with this issue. If they distribute it all and say, okay, this much is your money, you've got the money or you've got a check in your hand or whatever, and then you say, here you go, I give it back to you, that's completely fine. Because you've got it, there's going to be no pressure. And one of the reasons why they say that you just can't forego is because in these kind of cases, there's a lot of pressure, especially upon the sisters, upon the mother or somebody else. Maybe she needs the money because she wants to donate it. Maybe she wants to give a special gift, but she's embarrassed, right? Because it's a tradition or whatever the case is. That's why they say, give her her share. And then after that, let her give it back, then it's fine. A, a sister just called me recently. Her husband has died. She's got two young children. She's got a uh, mother-in-law, right? And she's got brother-in-laws. Now, her mother-in-law said for the house that she lives in, right, uh, that, the, that this wife, this uh, widow lives in now, I don't want anything, leave it for you and your children. But I told her, obviously, you, and she doesn't want to do that either. I said, okay, what you do is you get the money together that is her share of the home and give it to her. And then if she gives it back to you, alhamdulillah, then you're more than happy to take it. Right? And then that's completely fine. There are other ways of doing it. You can say, you, you can say okay, give me a certain thing in lieu of this. But um, I would say that in that case... Uh, you consult the ulama and maybe I'll do something more in detail later about the exact ways of doing that. Uh, we've talked too much today. So inshallah, I will stop here. Hopefully all of that was clear. But anyway, now inshallah, I will take your questions. If the wife or husband has a pension and they nominate the other spouse as the beneficiary of the pension in the event of the death, how do the inheritance rules apply? This generally depends on the pension. Okay, this generally depends on the pension. So, um, if it's a pension that they were contributing to uh, as part of their contribution, that means it was their assets, and that means that that pension has to be uh, going uh, has to be divided according to inheritance, because it's your assets that have been uh, uh, that have been received, and you will have to uh, do it as uh, inheritance. Now, if it's one of those. Uh, if it's a different type of inheritance where you actually had no say in it, it was uh, it was uh, taken compulsorily from your uh, from your assets, and uh, that that kind of an inheritance where you had no contribution and it was obliged for you to contribute uh, from your salary and so on, then in that case, whoever's name in, on the uh, is on there, it will go to them, right? It will go to them. When in your lifetime you can give some kids more than others, what about if a child is a drug user, mentally or something, can you leave in a trust for that one? You can. You can leave in a trust for that one if you want to. Uh, as I said, that any money you left is going to have to go uh, to, uh, uh, what do you call it, is going to have to go to your inheritors. So for you to leave just a trust for that particular individual, uh, you will have to... Um, uh, contact a scholar of how to exactly work that out because there's going to be some legal aspects as well that you're going to have to consider in that case. So um, I won't give you a detailed answer right now about that. What if one of your children becomes a non-Muslim? Can you leave them out of the inheritance? You don't have to leave them out of your inheritance. They will automatically not receive anything anyway. Right? Uh, which basically means they will not, which means that you should actually not put them in your will anyway. 
right? But they, they can't receive anything unless you made wasiyat for them because it's the same thing that I mentioned earlier that if you're Muslim, your parents are non-Muslim, you can't automatically inherit. They have to leave a will for you. So in this case as well, they shouldn't inherit, right? They can't inherit unless you leave a bequest for them. So you just don't do that if you don't want to give them anything. Assalamu alaikum. If one child is more in need than the others, parents give them in the lifetime. Is this okay even though the siblings don't agree? Yes, you can. As long as you're not depriving the others like in some kind of active way and it's not uh, uh, oppression, um, I, would, I would be questioning why the others uh, have a problem with that. Are you overdoing it? Maybe you should just consult with somebody about this. Right? Maybe you should just consult with somebody about this so it doesn't become favoritism without realizing. That's what I would suggest. What if you buy a house using your name and your partner and both contribute to the deposit but only the husband pays the mortgage? You have to decide among yourself whose is what. Right? If they've both paid for the uh, deposit, then I'm assuming then the wife will own that much anyway unless she's gifted, that part, uh, gifted the deposit to the husband. Right? So you have to agree between you that who now owns what. So you could be paying for all of it and you can still give half to her. If she's paid for a deposit, then assumption is at least that much is hers. Then you can decide on who gives and who, whose is the rest. It's whatever you guys agree. Of course, um, if, one, uh, if one person is giving something and you say none of it is yours, that would be wrong unless they agree with that and they say, okay, I gift it to you. Right? What if the father has agreed to sell the house with an agreement that a son can pay on a monthly payment? Father has given possession and name also transferred, then it's fine. They're just paying in installments. That's completely fine. That's just a normal transaction. It's become theirs. They just owe the money. If, if the father dies in the process and the rest of the money has not been paid, he will owe that money to the assets because that's a, credit, uh, that's a, that's a debt owed to everybody else. So he will owe that to everybody else. Of course, if he's, if he's, owe, if he's receiving an inheritance, then they can just uh, maybe contra that payment through the inheritance and then he can just pay that much less, but then he'll get that much less of the inheritance. But that's completely fine. That's a deed. That's done. Can you have inflation on delayed repayment? No, that's interest, unfortunately. I know we're working within an inflation-based economy, right? which I have issues with, but there's nothing you can do with that and uh, you still cannot add that. If a woman wants to adopt a baby, will it inherit? Not by default, but as again, you can leave a bequest, a wasiyat for them. After dad died, son was advised to get sisters to sign that they will not get a share of the house. They were grieving and were told girls don't have a right to inheritance. Is this binding in Islam? This is very, very, very wrong. And even if they signed off under pressure, they should be able to go and reclaim for this because they they were mis they were they were uh, it was misrepresented they were actually deceived and they have a right to the house and also as I mentioned to you earlier the other reason they have is according to many ulama you just can't forego a share you have to actually do something to give it to someone all right and have taken it first so in this case they still have a right to it does the siblings of the deceased have rights on the inheritance? Does the siblings of the deceased have rights on the inheritance? In most cases, they won't. They only have in some cases. Remember this, if the deceased person has left a son, then, bro then the brothers of the deceased will not get anything, right? Because the son will take all, okay? The father will get and the sons will get. 
only if he doesn't have sons and not a father, then it, then it could go to the brothers. But otherwise, the siblings don't get anything. And the sisters won't get anything either, if, especially if they have a son. What happens if your mother has passed away and your father remarries? How do you work out what you're entitled to? You don't have to work out what you're entitled to until he dies anyway. And his wife will only get one-eighth anyway. His wife will only get one-eighth. And you're still going to be entitled to the same amount. Unless, of course, for some reason, he, mashallah, transferred everything over to this new wife of his, right, during uh, his life, right, wanting to deprive you guys, that would be a different issue. But otherwise, you'd get the same thing. The wife only gets one-eighth in that sense anyway. What if someone says, I sell you this house and specifies the time when the sale goes through before his death? That is not allowed. Uh, in Islam, a sale has to be immediate. A promise of a sale is just a promise of a sale. It doesn't work. You can't say... This transaction will take place on in two years or tomorrow. You'll have to actually then do the transaction. You can't say this will automatically happen tomorrow. It doesn't work like that. It needs to be done immediately on the spot there. Otherwise, just the promise. Then when that time comes, you'll have to actually then go and actively undertake the transaction again. Otherwise, it won't work. Even if they both agree, it still won't work. Can I give my child a sum before my death and then deduct it from the inheritance? No, I've already answered that question. Whatever you leave will be inheritance. Right? Like I said before, if, you're, if you said to somebody, I'm giving you this, but don't take from here. I'm giving you the jewelry. Don't take from there. doesn't work. Of course, they can opt not to take it and they can, uh, they, 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 they can take their share and give it back. They can do that if they want to, but otherwise they, there's no obligation in that regard. In the United States, there are community property states which mandate each spouse owns 50% of the marital property. Would that count under Islam if the husband didn't give 50%? It wouldn't count, not in Islamically. So even if the wife actually received that, like in England, what happens is that if you're legally married, after your death, automatically all your assets go to the wife. Uh, go to the wife. Now, if the wife refuses to give the children any money because there was no will that was left for the children, that would be haram as well. Okay. This is where it gets complicated, where we've got the Islamic laws from the Qur'an so clear, and we've got the laws of the country telling you to do something, or not telling you, but maybe enabling you to do something. Can you leave a will for your grandchildren from your daughter's side? Yes, you can. Up to one third, yes. Salam, what if your husband will be getting inheritance in form of land in India, etc., but it has not been divided by his father or between the siblings? How does that work? Good luck. Make dua. That's, those are the issues where they don't distribute for generations and then they try to distribute afterwards. So I would say that when they're ready to distribute, they will f work it out, then they will decide on whose in uh, share is what and then they'll decide all of that and hopefully there's nobody trying to take more than others. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for you. What's the ruling if the parents have an illegitimate child? That child will not, uh, will not naturally inherit. And again, it depends on what you mean by illegitimate child. If, it, if he was born before their marriage, then he will not naturally uh, inherit from the father at least. He may inherit from the mother. Uh, I'll have to find that out. But, because his attribution is to his mother, so he should be able to inherit from the mother, but not from the father. But um, write to us and we'll work it out more, inshallah, for you. Can you bequeath more to inheritors than their fixed share? No, you can't do that. You, um, you can if all the others agree, but there's a way to do that, where everybody would receive their shares and then they would say, okay, fine, you can take that. What is the punishment for not following Sharia for the will? Allah knows best. Whatever, uh, whatever. He, uh, I don't know if he's 
mentioned. I mean, there are hadith mentioned that even if you take one handspan of ground, right, of somebody else's property, then you know there's going to be a certain punishment for that. There are general hadith like that, but exactly what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala knows best. If my father and mother is in witness of a child said that either of our death it will remain the other spouse and no children can take any parent out the house. No, this will not be binding because you're not gifting anything. You're just saying if I die then it's hers and if she dies first then it's mine. That means you're gifting something in the future but you can't gift at the time of death. It already becomes your inheritance. Again, it will just be advice. It will just be a wish. It's up to them whether they want to do it or not. Can an adopted child inherit? I've mentioned that. Are children entitled to inherit from a father who has divorced their mother and remarried? Of course. They're still the father. They're still their bio, 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 biological father. They will still get from the father. They will not get from the stepmother though. The stepmother, her inheritance, her husband will get some. Their father will get some. And any of her other relatives. So, in inheritance of divorce is simple. I mean, if your mother and father divorce, the mother goes marry somebody else. Any asset that your mother li- leaves at death, you will, uh, you know, you can inherit from that. Likewise, she'll inherit from you. Likewise, from your father. You just don't inherit anything from the step um, parent. If father passed away 19 years ago, what time for distribution came? When time? Mother and sons that we don't have money but have income coming in through properties, rent shops, etc. But mother and some sons living at the house said that they need the money to run the house for food, etc. Is that allowed? No. The house is everybody's, so they are obliged to distribute that. Or they have to buy the other people out. And the income is also everybody's as well. I think you're going to need, you, you, you're going to, need to consult somebody about this in more detail. Can you plead ignorance of the detailed laws of the inheritance when distributing? You'd be silly to do that, obviously. What if the deceased had four wives and children from each wife? Then they would all inherit. They would all inherit. The wives would all get uh, a share within the one-eighth, and then the children would get the rest if there's no parents. If an adopted child is breastfed, can they inherit? No. Milk children do not inherit. You are doing a great job, Muslim. May Allah elevate you and accept your efforts. Ameen, Ya Rab. Ameen, Ya Rab. Ameen, Ya Rab. Um, Sheikh Rizwan Gangad, is it allowed for the husband to give his wife's lifetime interest in possession of the house by way of creating a trust without consulting the other inheritors? If he creates a trust, the waqf, he can do that. He can do that for a stranger, so he can do it for his wife. Nobody has to know, right? As long as when the time comes to the crunch, there's a deed, right? That's what it is. But it has to be done during the lifetime. Regarding inflation and delayed payment, can the assets be valued in gold, silver, etc. And when the payment is made, the value in pounds at that time is used to pay. That's too complicated for me. Uh, my father passed away and my brothers received everything. Is it my duty to request my share of the inheritance from my brother? If I do not, would I be sinner? You would not be a sinner, but then they would be also sinning for not giving it to you. They're sinning on your share. So sort it out. If you don't want it, say, look, just give me and I'll give it back to you or whatever, but sort it out. What if you are only two daughters and have transferred deeds on their name, but one daughter stays with them and not married? Does this mean Islamically the house is not transferred to them? If they've not gifted it to you in any way, shame, or form, not given you active control, then no. Right? How can it be decided who takes care of a child left from both deceased parents? There's a whole system in place 
the grandparents, the aunties, they, they, it depends on what age they are. That's, that's how it generally happens. There's more detail to that. I've got all of that mentioned in my marriage book, Handbook of a Healthy Muslim Marriage, about custody issues. The deceased has no sons, no parents, only daughters. If the siblings inherit one-third, how is that split between? You know, for any of these specific inheritance questions, I'm not going to answer them right now, right, about exactly who gets what share. This was for general inheritance problems, not for determining shares. For that, you can, consult, you can send a question to our fatwa center on White Thread. Uh, it's uh, on, uh, through White Thread or Zamzam Academy. Okay? If a will is left with instructions left by father, does it need to be carried out according to its full or can it be modified? If some of the children dispute how it should be distributed, it has to be done according to the Quranic shares, not according to what anybody says. Even if the father has written it incorrectly and given more to some than others, they don't have to be... That verse tells you that if the, the person who's died right, has done something wrong, you're not obliged to do that. And you can't go with what somebody else is saying either if it is incorrect. Just to clarify, within your one-third that you can gift anyone, you can't give to inheritors. Yes, you cannot give any of your one-third to your inheritors. You can, you, you can suggest it, it's up to the others whether they agree with it or not. If my daughter has stolen large amounts of money and does not want to pay back, can I deduct this amount? Yes, you can. You just have to make sure that by, through witness you're saying that this is how much that she has owes you. Then when it comes time for inheritance, that much can be deducted from us as long as it can be proven that that is the case. It is permissible to give the inheritance share to siblings in installments if one cannot give one payment. Yeah, I mean if they agree with you. But if it's a house and you want the house and you want to give them and they don't agree with that, then you would be forced to sell uh, to pay them because you can't, you, you can't suppress their right unless they agree that they, they can take in installments. What, or borrow money and then give it to them like that, if that's what they're saying. What are the obligations of young adult in terms of inheritance? Like what are the th I would say that if you, if you don't have any money, you probably don't have to worry about it. But if you have any kind of assets, then you leave a will. You can make a basic will that um, this should go to such and such. If you're not married as well, then I'm assuming the government may take it if you don't have a will. If a trust is created, does the end have to go to charity rather than our beneficiaries on death? It depends on the trust, right? But if it's a proper waqf trust, then yes, it would have to go eventually to charity. Salams, do you know of any reputable inheritance lawyers in Johannesburg? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I don't. I'm sorry, I don't. But what I would suggest is contact the Jamiat and hopefully they should be able to help you find someone. An uncle asks his nephew, owner, to pay the part of his inheritance, which he said he never claimed during the lifetime of his older deceased brother. Okay. Yep, there's a lot of problems. The more people, the, the more there is wealth, the more there's issue. Subhanallah. In South Africa, because they've been there for six, seven generations, there are big families there with massive, massive problems because they didn't, they didn't split it properly. And then they just kept at it and then the greed set in. Does everything you said still apply and work the same way if women owns everything? Yep, it's just going to work the other way around. That's all. MashaAllah, important topic, and I recommend everyone obtains professional advice. What if mother refused to give father property share out to their kids and she gets upset when I talk about it? Will I get guna if mother gets upset? No, she's going to get guna, as you say, right? Or gunna, as you say. It's actually one N. Gunna is like when you do in tajweed, right? So it's guna, 
or sin, she would be the one who would be sinful for refusing. Is it sufficient to write in a will in the country that I want my estate to be done according to the Sharia? Okay, I know this, that in England, if you write in your will that I want my assets to be divided by Sharia and you don't mention what the shares are, that will not be right. Uh, if we've got a lawyer here, they can, a uh, solicitor here, they can confirm that. It will not be valid. You have to say, uh, Islamic Sharia, you don't have to say that, but then you have to actually mention the shares. Very important, you mention the allotments. I know that for sure. Okay. Okay. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah khair for all of you being here. And Jazakallah khair. Jazakallah khair. Allah bless you all. And uh, keep us in your du'as. All we want is, look, we want people to be able to benefit from this so that they do things right and they stop leaving a war. Right? They stop leaving... They just stop leaving problems behind them. Really, try to do the best that you can. That's the main thing. Just try to do it right. Get understanding and do do it what's right, inshallah. Okay, let's just make a quick dua. Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam tabarak tiyatil jalali wa ikram. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. Ya Allah, assist us. Ya Allah, help us. Ya Allah, forgive us. Ya Allah, we want your blessings. Ya Allah, we want your love. Ya Allah, we want your generosity. Ya Allah, guide us. Ya Allah, grant us the best of information. Ya Allah, grant us the best of knowledge. Ya Allah, allow us to fulfill the responsibilities that we have in this world. O oh Allah, do not allow us to leave a blazing fire behind them. O oh Allah, behind us. O oh Allah, allow us to do what's right for our inheritors and for ourselves. O oh Allah, accept us. O oh Allah, allow us to leave a good legacy behind us. Allow us to do right therbi of our children, both in our life and even leave good children behind and good, good inheritors behind. O oh Allah, bless all of those who are here today and allow them uh, to get the best of what was said today. And O oh Allah, forgive us for our mistakes. Forgive us for our mistakes that we have committed in the past. Forgive us for any rights that we may have suppressed of somebody else. Allow us to be cleared from our debts and our wrongs and any violations before we die so that we can stand and, uh, on, the day of, on the day of judgment and hope to meet you and you love to meet us and we get a place in Jannatul Firdaus Subhana Rabbika Rabbil Izzati Amma Yasifun Wasalamun Al Mursaleen Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Bi Rahmatika Ya Rahman Rahim Jazakallah Khair for listening May Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala bless you and if you're finding this useful you know um, as they say do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others Jazakallah Khair and Assalamu Alaikum Wa Rahmatullahi Wa Barakatuh